Trey Maison Dasson is an intimate portrait of three boys growing up, each with a parent in prison. Directly told from the child's perspective, the film is an exploration of relationships and separation, masculinity, and coming of age in America when a parent is behind bars. And with that, we'd uh, like to introduce uh, the director, Denali Tiller. Denali, welcome to film school. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Now I'll ask the question. <laughs> you, you, In addition to directing, you did a number of different things on the film. What else? Part editing? Yes. Um, I mean, it, it definitely was um, my sort of baby for a long time, so I did many different things, but um, started it um, directing and producing. I did some cinematography on the film. I did, uh, I did editing on the film, um, but just overall overseeing all of those things. Um, well, I definitely am. Uh, I have a sort of perfectionist eye when it comes to my work. So. Well, good for you. Great. Well, tell me a little bit about how the project came to you. How did you get interested in the subject and, and the evolution of uh, Trey, Mason, and Desson? Yeah, so I actually began the film when I was um, going to the Rhode Island School of Design. I was in the film animation video department, and this was my senior thesis project in the last year of school. So I got interested in the subject because I had met a woman who became a friend who was formerly incarcerated. She was in prison for 17 years in Michigan, and she had two kids when she went to prison, who were six and eight at the time, and 23 and 25 when she came home. And her youngest son is doing very well, but her oldest son is in prison today. Um, he was tried as an adult at 16 years old and, and was given a natural life sentence, so he's still in prison. So she really started looking into what had happened to her kids when she went to prison and ended up developing a, a curriculum um, that was turned into a parenting class that goes through the stages of grief and trauma that children go through when a parent is behind bars. So that's really how I got in, into the subject, and the, her curriculum is now in the Rhode Island Department of Corrections. So I, in, I, I really began the film about her, but as I was going to these classes and going to the visiting hours and meeting the kids, uh, I met Trey and Mason there at the men's medium security prison and I realized you know if, if anyone was to share a story about what it's like to have a parent in prison it should be the kids directly so yeah. that's really how it turned into a collaboration with them and um and and really what it is now is, is uh really an, an intimate story directly from their perspective so there there really aren't any other adults interventions in the film um it's, it's really just what they're experiencing day to day and as we see in the film it's devastating on so many different levels for a child to be in this situation not only the loss of a of an adult a parent in your life but there's this emotional and that's one of the things that comes across in the film is the film really lays bare as you would expect with kids who are less filtered than than adults are but I would say this, and I use this word guardedly, one of the advantages of the, what we're seeing in the film is we see raw emotion. And we, see, and we mm -hmm. also see children attempting to cope with the situation as well. So we see the raw emotions and we see the sort of 
um, coping devices, mechanisms, strategies of a young of a young child. And just for for our audience, before uh, go any further, that they range at the beginning of the film. We meet them at six years old, and that's Dasan. At 11 years old, and that's um, Mason, and then also Trey, we meet at 13. So it's we're seeing different levels of maturity and, and growth in this. But yeah. uh, was, is that is it? I'm just wondering, is that a fair way to put it? Uh, the, the different. Yeah, I think you know they're um, they're also very lucky that they have the access to their parents that they do. Uh, the visiting program in Rhode Island is pretty unique across the country in terms of, and as you see in the film. The kids can get, they go in every Saturday, and it's really unmediated time. So they they don't have another adult guardian present. They um, even the COs in the in the room are pretty hands off, and they have paintings on all the walls and board games that they can play with, and they can throw footballs around and, and draw and color or just talk. And so they're really able to build deep connections and relationships with their parents, despite parents incarceration, you know, from a very young age, uh, however old they are. I mean, I've seen tiny little babies, you know, a week old in the visiting room um, and all the way up to 18 to 21 years old. So, so, and, you know, Rhode Island being such a small state, they, even if you live all the way across the state, you're only probably 45 minute drive versus, you know, New York or California or other states where it might be a 10, 15-hour drive just to see your parents. Or sometimes if, if it's in federal prison, you know, flying across the country to see your parents. Right. It's such a difficult experience to have a parent in prison because it's an absence, but it's, you know, it comes with all of this stigma and, and questions and, um, you know, the way that we really kind of blanketly criminalize people and, and demonize people who are in prison that is much more nuanced and so what you see in the film is really the parents ability to parent and um, not only that but they're amazing parents and so it, it really kind of separates them from what they may have done to be there but that it doesn't affect their, their ability to be a parent if they have the access um, to their child and, and the, for the children that they love their parents no matter what, unconditionally, right. and you hear that. Right. And so that was that was really important, you know, for, for me in, in, in working with these families specifically um, was to allow people to kind of see that, that full breadth, breadth of experience, um, but the intimacy that, that they're able to have with their parents and the relationships that they're able to build. And that it doesn't affect everything in their lives. And so I think that was the other important thing and making film is that, you know, as, as devastating as some moments are, there are also moments of levity and, and moments where you're laughing or, or just joyful um, in this, what is life for these kids. And, and they have very normal childhood experiences um, despite having a parent in prison, too. So. Yeah. And for each of them, it's very different, of course. Um, yeah. They come from different, different places. Well, as a, as a sort of personal observation, uh, my background is some time ago, about 10, 12 years ago, I was involved in a prison reform initiative here in the state of California. It was a ballot initiative. I happened to be the manager of the campaign, and uh, one of the things that I did was I visited a prison. It was a, it was a state prison, but it was a maximum security prison, and 
there was nothing like that level of access that I saw for those prisoners. Yeah. So to your point about Rhode Island, and that is another whole discussion with, that could be had about uh, the different standards by which we incarcerate people in this country, and it varies wildly yeah. from state to state. So that's another issue, okay. but, but it has a direct impact on what, you're, what this film is about, which in states where, where visitation is often an, so onerous uh, that, that it makes it nearly impossible. Some of these prisons, in, especially in California, are hours away from 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 civilization sometimes yeah. i mean so exactly. that's a, yeah and also i mean in, but in regard more specifically to uh this film there is also a and a, you, i mean it's in the film but not a lot because you the emphasis is on the children and their relationship and their perspective but the stigma that it puts on a family is also another part of this equation of trying to deal with what's happening Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, that's felt in schools, it's felt in communities, it's felt um, even in, in jobs later on in a, in a person's life. But, you know, one example that I like to give is if, you know, in a classroom, if a, if a teacher is, if you're making Father's Day cards in a classroom, right. you know, there's a lot of support for children whose father's or mothers if it's Mother's Day, but, um, you know, whose parent is in the military and is, is therefore not there, or whose parent has passed away. But if your parent is in prison, you know, that just imagine that that comes with so much stigma and, and how parents or how teachers and other adults in these kids' lives handle that and the questions that come with it and the emotions that come with it. Um, which sometimes, and I think you see with Trey, is a lot of anger, yeah. um, and so to assume that the anger is coming from a place of some sort of, you know, genetic predisposition to bad behavior because of where a parent is, is completely wrong and off base, but, um, you know, that happens, and so I think that, people, you know, the adults in these kids' lives across the country um, and even in other parts of the world, I think can be just can be better educated on how to how to support these kids. And of course, it's you know it's probably very different too if your parent is um, detained for immigration issues right now. I'm sure there's actually a lot of support, um, you know, emotional support for kids going through that. But if if your parent is in prison because of you know some egregious crime or or murder or something like this, you know, it, it, it doesn't affect, it, it still feels the same way to any child to have their parent missing because they're in prison, but that, of course, adds a whole other level um, of stigma. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with the director of the film, Trey Mason Dasson, and the film, the director is Denali Tiller, and the film is premiering on PBS's Independent Lens series, on April 1st. That's a Monday, April 1st, coming up. And you can find out more about the film at treymasondasson.com, and that's T-R-E-M-A-I-S-O-N-D-A-S-A-N.com. And uh, to find out more about the film and, and about uh, just information, there's other information as well about this issue of, ch- of children who have adults, parents in, in prison. 
and also you can go to independent lens to find out about the scheduling of the of the um film it is it premieres on april 1st at 10 p.m and i assume that that's one of those things you check your local listing for for your for the uh for the screening in your area on your pbs station i want to talk about the kids because they're, they're in their own way they're all very distinct personalities and they're all exceptionally engaging and your heart goes out to all of them i just you, you, mm-hmm. these are just really wonderful it's it you know with trey you can just see it in his in his eyes you can see it in his behavior and I mean, he's a kid that by the time he's, you know, 15 or 16 in the film, he has been through a lifetime of pain. And it's tough to watch at times. But um, what would you say? I mean, if you, it, I don't know if you want to sort of get into the different personalities of these kids. Uh, I'm just, I was just talking from, from what I saw. But anything you, you want to add? In working with all three of the kids and... and you know, meeting and talking to a lot of different kids who have times in prison, it's caregivers and, and the, the support you have at home becomes so, so important. Um, and that's both in the home and in the community. And I think what you see between the three boys really clearly is that Trey doesn't have that support at home. You know, his mother is um, struggling with mental health issues and, um, you know, not to spoil the ending, yeah. but... You know, there's a tragedy in the family, yeah, and yeah. Um, it, you know, he he's really on his own, and not only on his own, but really kind of has to fight for his own survival in a lot of ways. And so, um, at 13 years old, you know, he's under a lot of pressure to um, to figure out how to identify himself. And right. if you think about it, you know, his his mother's an addict, um, his father's in prison. You know, Trey is biracial, his father is black, his mother is white. And so kind of figuring out who he is and who he wants to be and all of that um, and considering the, the, the adults that he's had to, to look up to and, and look for questions um, to be answered about life and manhood and, yeah. you know, how to, how to survive in the world is... Um, was incredibly challenging, and so I think you see uh, you see a lot of his emotional response to that. Yeah, um, as you described it earlier, just the length, la- right. lashing, lashing out, grew up without. Yeah. basically, he's, he's grown up without a childhood. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it's interesting that it you know it really presents as, as anger and, and outbursts um, at home, and then when he sees his dad, he just cries. Yeah, and he hugs him and holds him, and it. I think that that is so important to see because you see this boy who who probably everyone on the outside just sees as kind of an angry troublemaker, um, actually express these really deep, painful emotions to his father, and you see his father express them back, you know, and uh, and and that's just so important for for both, I think, young boys to see. Um, and, and also the adults in, in these young boys' lives. Yeah. And then the other two are, you know, they have support at home. So, I mean, Mason is um, just a ball of energy and <laughs> always positive and, <laughs> just some, you know, he's, he's hilarious and sweet and kind and thoughtful and, yes. um, 
you know, he would he would never erase his voice without anything. He um, he strikes me. Pardon me. He strikes me as without guile. Basically, he's a, yeah. He's, oh, completely, <laughs> completely. To the point where sometimes his grandmother's a little worried about him. <laughs> he wouldn't know <laughs> when to be mean, even if he, you know, had yeah. to get out of a situation. But um, mm-hmm. he, so he's and and um, and it's you know all three of the boys in the whole process. And when I say they were collaborators on the film, I really mean that. You know, they and. They're credited as filmmakers, yes. and they actually own ten percent of, of the film. Um, so, and they were all so they were all engaged in different ways, and it really, um, for me, was a process of how, where they meeting them, where they were at at the time, and and you know that's a process too that of course changed over time, but um, but allowing them to take part in the film and take ownership over their stories in a way that felt most comfortable. So with Trey, we actually made a lot of music videos, um, and that's how he kind of, in his resourcefulness, um, felt what he could get out of us as a film crew, um, and we just filmed everything around making the making of those music videos, and that's really, you know, a lot of the stuff that you see in the film is kind of um, happened around that process. so and and his engagement with us. Well, all, all three of them. Provi- oh, I'm sorry. Well, all three of them provide uh, kind of a soundtrack to the film, or they're yeah, closing credit yes, stuff, yes. and it's just pretty wonderful yeah. stuff. Actually. Yeah. So Trey's music sort of is part of his story arc. So you hear it yeah. throughout the film, and then um, the other two boys have their songs in the credits, which is uh, unfortunately for those watching the PBS. Um, preview we we don't have Mason's song in the end credits we had to cut them a bit short but if you see the feature version our credits are a little long because i was insisted on fitting in both <laughs> <of their> songs. <laughs> um but and i mean it'll come as no surprise that mason really took on a directorial role um <laughs> and it's, you know the the first time i met him he came up to me and he had heard that we were working on this project and he said Hey, I heard that you're making a movie, and I have a production company <laughs> called CC Media, and, um, and we just started making stuff together. And we we were doing some animations, and we, um, you know, he he was. We were kind of making a bunch of little funny little films together, and and then with with his story, he loved being interviewed, and he loved giving interviews, and so that really culminated in that conversation between him and his dad. Um, we got a special visiting hours yeah. set up for them so that he got to come in, you know, during the week and, and just sit down for two and a half hours and, and interview his dad. And um, and so that's kind of how that ended up in the film. Um, and then Dasan and his cousin, you know, Dasan was six and Olivia, who's in the film a bit, um, yeah. was eight at the time. So they were really at the toy kind of playful toy age and um so for them it was a lot of like playing with the cameras and listening to themselves with the microphones and um and there's you know when the son's mom um had had told them that she was away at school when she was gone for two years um when she was incarcerated and so there's a scene in the film where she's telling them that she wasn't out of school she was actually at a prison and yes. olivia the cousin like, when we were setting up that scene, they kind of knew that this was going to be a serious conversation, so they were just being 
as silly as possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, like, rolling over the couches and, like, Stefan's, like, slowly backing out of the room and Stephanie's like, yeah, just come sit down. I have something important to tell you. Yeah. And Olivia, like, ran over and picked up the Zoom recorder and put on the headphones. And so she was actually listening to Stefan's mom's voice really closely during that conversation. And for me, you know, that might have been an, uh, a point where, you know, another another filmmaker might have said, like, no, put that away. This is, you know, that's yeah. breaking the fourth wall or whatever. But for me, it was like, that's how she wanted to use us in that moment. And she was even closer to her aunt in that conversation because she was just listening to just her voice on the headphones. And um, it was kind of this powerful moment for me. And I, it, it kind of became a thing where I don't even care if people don't know why she's wearing headphones <laughs> but in right. the moment it right. was kind of really powerful so well i have i have to say and i was as you were going through the your your answer uh i i was thinking i can't think of another documentary where i've seen this level of open source kind of uh collaboration if you will with with the subject and and the filmmaker and it and it works. It really works. It really works yeah. very well. And I I don't know that it would be the same documentary if you hadn't sort of opened yourself up to doing it this way. Um, did you yeah, have, did I you have some trepidations about that approach that you you ended you eventually ended on or or, or well, not? it was a lot of experimentation. So I didn't actually know. And honestly, the edit that we I was trying to fit more of that stuff in our edit. Um, when we first started, and it just wasn't working because it, it didn't translate um, as, like, they were making the film. It was more of the, about the process right. that got to the film that we made, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but especially in working with children, I think there wasn't any other way to do this. Um, and the, the way we got such we're able to, you know, capture such intimate scenes and, and, um, you know, really these vulnerable moments is because of that trust and collaboration and relationships that we built through that complete just destructuring of, you know, power and hierarchy of, like, the filmmaker and subjects. It was, um, you know, we don't even refer to them as subjects it's um they're really collaborators or participants because that's really what it felt like for me and and for them um and still does you know they're very um very active in the distribution of the film and and it doesn't mean they're making all the decisions or or really any decisions um but they're a part of it you know i share what's happening and um they're able to use the film for anything they would like to use it for and um you know mason's wants to film when his dad his dad is being released this summer actually and coming home and he wants to make a little movie about his dad coming home and so it's just maintaining those those sorts of relationships encouraging them to be and do whatever whatever it is that that makes them successful in their own ways was all part of that process It, it never was you know, kind of parachuting in and being airlifted out of the situation. It was really being fully immersed and, and handing over as much as possible to them. Right. Well, to me, the reason the film works so well is because there is the structure. The structure's there. There's the, there's the arc of the stories. There are mm-hmm. all the things that 
you would expect in a documentary. But it has this level of intimacy, this level of, I don't know if playfulness is the right word, but it's, it's a certain, um, you know. I like that word, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, and, and, and it reflects what their subject, what your subjects are. Mm-hmm. They're children. They mm-hmm. are still, and, and for a lot of reasons, they're still struggling, and they will struggle, I'm sure, in some manner of speaking, with coming to terms with their life. Although maybe I'm maybe I'm misreading this because people, if you're a child, you don't. If this is the life you know, it's the only life you know. It's not like you, yeah. you have expectations beyond that. At some point in your life, you begin to figure out that there's a world beyond yourself, and you uh, you sort of form a, an opinion about the world and, and the world you live in. So. But during the making of this film, it feels like this is very appropriate uh, and to what, what their lives are. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, and, yeah and, and that's what I realized very quickly in, in working with them is, you know, I would, and this is my first film, so I will admit I really had no idea what I was doing at the beginning, um, or probably at the end either, but, <laughs> um, but the, you know, I, so... At first, I was kind of going into every situation and feeling like we had to talk about their incarcerated parent, but I realized very quickly that that's not, they don't think about their parent every minute of every day, you know, they're, it's, and all of them, you know, Desan was four when his mom went in, and honestly, I didn't really know Desan very well um, during that time, because we met just very, um very soon before she got out, so she um, she gets out at the beginning of the film, and it's really more about her reentry process. Um, but with Trey and Mason, you know, their their parent, their fathers have been incarcerated most of their lives, so it's really just their normal experience, and it's not some. Of course, there are times when they miss them or they wish they were home, but it's not something they're thinking about or wanting to talk about or reflecting on. Right. every minute of every day right. so right. um so what i what i realized is you know they there are all these other experiences that they're having and it's nice when their parents can be a part of it like with mason you know his dad is on the phone every day so yeah. he can share things with him that happen in his life but yeah. um but then there are all these other little moments in the film that are just what's going on with them and, and what's happening with them um that maybe has nothing to do with their parent at all. Um, but that's who they are. Yeah. It, it's a beautiful film. I, I'm, I'm, you should be very proud of it. It's an exceptionally uh, easy watch. I mean, you just kind of get carried along with all the, their stories. And I think, you know, looking at the world through the eyes of these children in the film and understanding what, you know, from, as you said, from their perspective... And we as adults watch it. We have this sort of, I mean, I'll speak for myself. You sort of have this, uh, if you kind of feel the weight that they maybe don't feel, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of the, the world that, that they are, um, you know, kind of struggling to deal with. And even though they may not completely understand it on the level that an adult would. But at the same time, in a, in a very um, easy way, for people to understand it gets to the heart of some other big issues about incarceration mm-hmm. about the way that we treat uh mm-hmm. our, uh, cr- you know criminal uh criminal behavior and all of it there's a lot of things that are sort of bundled up inside of the this the telling of this of this uh story so 
it just works on a lot of different levels. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that was another. You know, there isn't an explicit call to action in the film, and there isn't there isn't a lot of information even about um, you know incarceration or um, or the prison system. And that was really intentional because I wanted people just to have this deep, intimate experience um, of these kids' lives without all of that stuff. Because right. I think sometimes that. The statistics are actually what sort of, I don't want to say dehumanizes, but de, um, de-individualizes yeah. people. Um, it it provides a distance. It provides sort of a distance yeah, between exactly. them. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let, let's talk in the last minute or so that we have uh, about the mm-hmm. National Visiting Day. Sort of what's the rollout here? We've got the independent lens screening on, a, on Monday, April 1st. Uh, 10 p.m. Um, Eastern Time, so check your local listings for your with your PBS station for more about Trey Maison and Dasson um, for the screenings. And tell us a little bit about what other things are coming up uh, in terms of uh, the the film and the issues surrounding the film. Yeah, so if um, and if people miss the April 1st screening, it will be streaming on PBS.org until the 14th of April. Um, and one of the reasons we really wanted to talk, wanted to work with independent lens and public broadcasting is that that um, public public access is accessible in a lot of prisons around the country. So a lot of people, if they have a TV um, access to a TV, they have access to public broadcasting. So um, that was really important for us, and we've developed this engagement around the broadcast of the film and those first 14 days of April called the National Visiting Days. And what we've done is, uh, and are continuing to do, is um, just encourage uh, organizations and prisons to put together screenings. Um, they're free screenings because the film is will be streaming online for free on tvs.org. And so people can screen, host these screenings with um, communities and and children who might have parents in prison, communities that are affected by incarceration, and then work with their local jails and prisons to um, make sure that um, either host screenings in the jails or um, just let people know that they can see this film when it's going to be airing so that it creates this simultaneous watching experience um, or kind of a, a, a visiting experience despite distance and despite access to your family members. So mm-hmm. you can know that you're watching the same film at the same time that your loved one in prison is watching the film. That's incredible. So we currently have screenings in, in 12 different states um, that are doing this, and in um, at least four of those states, um, we're also working with corrections departments to host screenings um, for incarcerated populations during that during the National Visiting Days. Right. Um, so, you know, if anyone is interested in hosting a screening like that, um, there's more information on our website, uh, and um, and you can always get in touch with us as well and join join the Google group to see what other people are hosting. Right. And these are screenings anywhere from, you know, five people to 50 people to 100 people. It, they can be very small or just for your family or, or, or for a whole organization or community. So. Right. Uh, well, and if, again, all, all the, the website for the film is 
Trey Desson, Desson, Desson and it's uh, T-R-E-M-A-I-S-O-N-D-A-S-A-N.com to find out more. It's also the Independent Lens website, which will connect you to your website for the film. And it is, and again, America, we, we, we all are responsible for the massive amount of incarceration that is take has taken place in this country on a scale the likes of which no other country in the world incarcerates people and mm -hmm. we need to look at this from all the different sides of the issue and we need to do something about it and uh, this is one this is one part of the that uh, that this issue and that uh, you should check it out at the website and and participate and i i'm i'm so grateful to you um denali tiller for your film and for joining us today here on film school thank you so much it's been it's been great <laughs>